0: I would bomb the shit out of them. Promises made, promises kept. Because it depends on your definition of them. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs.
1: Let me choke us to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From the
0: Pacifica Radio you. in Los Angeles, and this I'm is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast And 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around... Well, fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, uh, Frank Schaefer, the one-time, long-time Christian right preacher and son of the late evangelist uh, and founder of the Christian right anti-abortion movement, Pastor Francis Schaefer, joins us to discuss what he describes, what Frank describes as the only way for Democrats to... Uh, If not win over Trump supporters, at least get them voting along the same interests as Democrats. That uh, from Frank's unique perspective as someone who, uh, until about 10 years ago, spent decades in the political con of white Christian so-called value voters. In short, uh, Frank's advice, drop a match into the political powder keg. Well, that ought to be a lively conversation, don't you think, Des? <laughs> oh my
2: goodness, yes. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, but first up, uh, that of course is Desi Doyan, our producer. Hi, Des. Hey. Uh, but first up, uh, a few important uh, news items that I think are otherwise getting overlooked by by many in the corporate mainstream media, as the uh, the obsession with Capitol Hill politics over actual news affecting the nation and the world continues to take center stage. Um, an initial investigation of a recent airstrike, believed to have killed more than 200 civilians in Mosul, Iraq, uh, found that it was conducted by U.S.-led uh, coalition at the re- at the request of Iraqi security forces. The Pentagon said on Saturday, according to the L.A. Times, witnesses said the airstrike killed hundreds of residents on Baghdad Street in West Mosul on March 17, including many women and young children. On Friday, in an area where apartment blocks were reduced to rubble, at least 50 bodies could be seen, including those of pregnant women, children and newborns. On Saturday... A day after announcing that the incident was under investigation, Pentagon officials released a statement saying the coalition had targeted Islamic State fighters and equipment in the area on March 17 at the location corresponding to allegations of civilian casualties. The airstrike, if found to be responsible for the fatalities, would mark the deadliest civilian casual casualty incident by far. Since the U.S. military began its involvement in um, in mid 2014 against ISIS, United Nations officials said they were, quote, profoundly concerned by the allegations surrounding the airstrike, Iraqi vice president. Osama Nujafi, a Mosul native, issued a statement calling the strike a humanitarian catastrophe that killed hundreds. He blamed uh, both the U.S.-led coalition and federal police for using excessive force. The uh, Athil Nujafi, the uh, former Mosul governor, said, If they continue in the same way, I believe it will be a big problem after the liberation. The people of Mosul Will not forget this. Glenn Greenwald, writing about the incident uh, and more over at The Intercept this weekend, said uh, from the start of his presidency, Donald Trump's war on terror has entailed the seemingly indiscriminate slaughter of in- innocent people in the name of killing terrorists. In other words, Trump has escalated the 16 year old core premise of America's foreign policy, that it has the right to bomb any country in the world where, it, where people it regards as terrorists are found. Greenwald writes the most recent atrocity was the killing of as many as uh, 200 Iraqi civilians from, from U.S. airstrikes this week in Mosul. That was preceded a few days earlier by the killing of dozens of Syrian civilians in Raqqa, Uh, The Raqqa province where uh, where the U.S. had targeted a school where people had taken refuge, which itself was preceded a week earlier by the U.S. destruction of a mosque near Aleppo that also killed dozens. And one of Trump's first military actions was what can only be described as a massacre, says Greenwald, carried out by Navy SEALs in which 30 Yemenis were killed. Among the children killed was an 8-year-old American girl whose 16-year-old American brother was killed by a drone strike under President Obama. In sum, he says, although precise numbers are difficult to obtain, there seems little question that the number of civilians being killed by the U.S. in Iraq and Syria, which was already quite high under Obama, has increased precipitously during the first two months of the Trump administration. Data compiled by the site Air Wars tells the story. the number of civilians killed in Syria and Iraq began increasing in October under Obama, but has now skyrocketed in March under Trump. and uh, Glenn includes this uh, uh, chart from air uh, from the the site Air Wars showing that uh, in March the number of civilian casualties has just gone through the roof. This chart goes all the way back to, uh, to 2014 when we started uh, really uh, uh, taking part in earnest in that war against ISIS. Uh, but the numbers of uh, civilian casualties in March are just absolutely enormous, pushing 1,400 uh, in these airstrikes in both Iraq and, uh, and Syria. That's more than three times, as far as I can tell from this chart, than any one single month during the Obama presidency. Greenwald goes on to say this escalation of bombing and civilian deaths combined with the deployment uh, by Trump of 500 ground troops in Syria beyond the troops Obama had already deployed there has received remarkably little media attention. This is in part due to the standard indifference in U.S. discourse to U.S. killings of civilians compared to the language used when its enemies kill people. Compare the very muted and euphemistic tones used to report on Trump's escalations in Iraq and Syria to the frequent invocation of genocide and war crimes to denounce Russian killing of Syrian civilians. What is becoming clear, he says, is that Trump is attempting to liberate the U.S. military from the minimal constraints it observed in order to avoid massive civilian casualties, and this, he says, should should surprise nobody. Trump explicitly and repeatedly vowed to do exactly that uh, during his campaign. A lot of people see him as, uh, you know, oh, he was going to get us out of all of these uh, foreign interventionisms. Yeah.
2: A Um, lot of folks were like, oh, well, he's not a warmonger like Hillary Clinton, except uh, here he's mm -hmm. actually escalated even further what Obama was already doing.
0: And just to remind people who don't remember from the campaign trail uh, here was, I, I think this, we have a yes, bit of, uh yeah. This is, uh,
2: this is uh, Trump from a rally back in November of 2015.
0: Doing, uh, doing and now doing exactly what he was uh, promising in clips like this. ISIS is making a tremendous amount of money because they
1: have certain oil camps, right? They have certain areas of oil that they took away. They have some in Syria, some in Iraq. I would bomb the shit out of them. <laughs>
0: I would just bomb those suckers. That was uh, Trump back in November 2015, was that? Yep. Uh, But he's not just apparently bombing the blank out of ISIS. He's also uh, killing what looks to be now hundreds of civilians in, uh, in a whole bunch of different countries. Greenwald goes on to say Trump's reckless killing of civilians in Iraq, Syria, and Yemen is many things. Barbaric, amoral, and criminal, it is also ironically likely to strengthen support for the very groups, ISIS and al-Qaeda, that he claims he wants to defeat, given that nothing drives support for those groups, for those groups like U.S. slaughter of civilians. Perhaps the only competitor he adds in helping those groups is another Trump specialty, driving a wedge between Muslims and the West. Not getting the attention that it ought to. Uh, all of the wars that uh, the U.S. is now involved in around the world, uh, it wasn't getting the attention it deserves when um, when Barack Obama was president, and it's uh, getting even less attention now, frankly, despite the, uh, the despite the increase in killing under the Obama, I'm sorry, under the Trump administration. Yeah.
2: Well, to be honest, the Obama administration did increase the killing of civilians. And now, as Greenwald has said, Trump has escalated it. It has skyrocketed. So it's gone even further to creating even more terrorists. But we don't talk about it.
0: There's no debate about it. There has been no debate in Congress about uh, this uh, seemingly endless war. We are now in with both al-Qaeda and ISIS. So that's where we are. Uh, in, uh, let's say, some better news back here at home.
2: Yeah, uh, <laughs> something.
0: No, it's it's not really good. Oh. It's, it's only better because it so far doesn't include a lot of uh, people being killed. OK. Uh, but uh, an exclusive from AP Today finds that despite Republican assurances that North Carolina's bathroom bill isn't hurting the economy, The law limiting LGBT protections will cost the state more than three point seven six billion dollars in lost business over a dozen years, according to an Associated Press analysis. Over the past year, North Carolina has suffered financial hits ranging from uh, scuttled plans for a new PayPal facility that would have added an estimated two point six six billion dollars. To the state's economy, to a uh, to to canceled concerts like uh, one by Ringo Starr that deprived the town's amphitheater of about thirty-three thousand dollars. North Carolina could lose hundreds of millions more because of the NCAA, uh, which is now avoiding the state. It was usually a favored host for uh, uh, for uh, for basketball games. The group is set to announce. Uh, Sites for various championships through 2022, and North Carolina will not be among them as as long as the law is on the books. The NAACP has also initiated a national economic boycott against North Carolina. The AP analysis represents the largest reckoning uh, so far of how much the law, which was passed one year ago under their then-Republican governor, how much that could cost the state. The law excludes Gender identity and sexual orientation from statewide anti-discrimination protections and uh, and requires transgender people to use restrooms corresponding to the sex on their birth certificates in many public buildings. Still, AP's tally. Um, likely underestimates the cost of the uh, the, the law's true cost. The, their count only includes data that was obtained from businesses and state or local officials regarding projects that were canceled or relocated because of this bill HB two, um, and so businesses that just you know didn't announce that they weren't going to go to North Carolina or that canceled business trips or conventions there. Um, Without announcing it publicly, those were not even included in this $3.76 billion. Oh, wow. So it could be be even 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 greater than that. Wow. Bank of America CEO uh, Brian Moynihan, for example, uh, who leads the largest uh, company that is based in North Carolina, said he's spoken privately to business leaders who went elsewhere with projects or events because of the controversy. He fears uh, more decisions like that are being made very quietly. So that's not included in, uh, in AP's analysis. Uh, shortly after the the law the bill was signed into law by uh, Republican then Governor Pat McCrory, uh, he issued a statement assuring residents that it wouldn't affect North Carolina's status as one of the top states to do business in the country. Yet all told, the state has missed out on more than twenty nine hundred direct jobs that went elsewhere, and these are not indirect jobs. These are not the jobs, for example, they pretend on the. Uh, Keystone X, Keystone XL pipeline,
2: right? Like restaurant jobs and service jobs and dry cleaners and grocery stores, construction workers. Exactly.
0: These are direct jobs. Almost three thousand that they know are not going to North Carolina. Nonetheless, supporters of HB2 say they don't care. They're willing to absorb the costs as long as the law prevents sexual predators from posing as uh, (laughs) transgender people and entering private spaces to molest women and girls, uh, which, of course, the law's detractors say are completely imagined. I can't imagine that anybody was going to uh, dress up as a woman and sneak into the bathroom until they passed that damn law. Now I can't do it anymore. Now I can't go into the bathroom. Uh, I can't sneak in there because the law has... Suddenly That's, made it okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> well,
2: as if they weren't going to do it anyway. Lieutenant
0: Governor Dan Forrest, one yeah. of the strongest supporters of the uh, of the law, accused no- news organizations, of course, of, of, of creating a false picture of the economic upheaval. He says everything is fine, nothing to notice here. The effect is minimal to the state. Forrest told Texas legislature legislators who are considering a similar law in the state of Texas, he told them, hey, our economy is doing well. Don't be fooled by the media. This is about privacy, safety and security in the most vulnerable vulnerable places that we go. So uh, good luck, Texas, if you pass that law. That, that'll that be smart. That'll sure help.
2: Well, you know, these states, they really dig the idea of being able to punish some very select groups of people. That's, even, that's what they get off
0: on. Even if it punishes themselves. That's what's amazing about this. So, you know, never mind the facts, never mind the huge hit to the state's economy from the so-called conservative law, never mind that it's supposed to prevent a completely imaginary crime that nobody in state history has actually been able to cite as ever actually happening. The right wingers in North Carolina and now in Texas and in other states considering the same type of law, they move forward because they can use it to fire up their base. They can use it to raise money by keeping their supporters frightened and voting and showing up at the polls and continuing to vote Republican. So, you know, never mind the facts. How can that sort of thing be countered, if at all? Coming up next, a former right-wing evangelical preacher who has now seen the light and believes he knows how Democrats can and should counter those facts and deal with such folks, Frank Schaefer joins us next to discuss it. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. To make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Uh, well, Donald Trump's base uh, base of voters appears to be eroding, at least if you believe in those uh, those fake polls from pollsters like uh, like Quinnipiac University. Uh, they reported on Friday that President Donald Trump is losing support among Republicans, white voters, and men, leaving him with a negative 37.56% job approval rating from American voters his worst score ever according to Quinnipiac University this is a national poll released on Friday that approval rating 19 points underwater compares to a uh, to a 41.52% approval rating that was just 11 points underwater In a March 7 survey, that was just two weeks ago. In other words, he's fallen eight points in just the past two weeks. And the largest drop off appears to be among his strongest backers, at least up until now, according to the survey. Among key elements of his base, men now disapprove of Trump by nine points. Compare that to a positive approval rating of four points earlier this month. That's a 13 point crash in the approval rating among men in just two weeks. White voters disapprove by six points now compared to a narrow five point approval on March 7th. So an 11 point crash among white voters in just two weeks. Among Republicans overall, his support still stands at a healthy 81 to 14 percent among Republicans, but that's compared to a 91.5 percent percent uh, uh, approval rating just two weeks ago. So even among Republicans as a whole, he's lost 19 points of support in just two weeks. Donald Trump's base is eroding, at least as of now, or at least over these past two weeks. Among voters overall, Trump's personal qualities like his trustworthiness, leadership skills are uh, whether he cares about average Americans, has a level head, shares the values of Americans, those are also all hitting all new lows by huge margins. The uh, the director of the Quinnipiac poll, Tim Malloy, says although although taking a beating, Trump keeps on tweeting to the point where his uh, where even his fiercely loyal base appears to be eroding. Most alarming for President Donald Trump, the demographic underpinnings of his support, that would be Republicans, white voters, especially men and those without a college degree, are starting to have doubts. And remember, uh, all of these numbers from Quinnipiac came before Trump and the Republicans long promised plan to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare went down in such spectacularly embarrassing flames on Friday that failure, as of today, has sent the Gallup daily tracking poll of Trump's approval rating from 41 uh, percent last week to a new record low for him of just 36 percent approval. Still, while the support among his base may be beginning to erode, as noted in Quinnipiac's survey, there are still an amazing 81 percent of self-identified Republicans who support the guy In that poll released on Friday, case in point from a recent Washington Post story on on some of the folks who turned out for a recent uh, Donald Trump rally in Nashville, Tennessee, that papers uh, Jenna Johnson reported soon after Sharla McComick's son lost his job, his health insurance premium dropped from five hundred and sixty seven dollars per month to just eighty eight dollars. She described that, quote, as a blessing from God that she believes was made possible by President Trump. Yes, by President Trump. Uh, I think it was just because of the tax credit, said McComick, 52 years old, a former first grade teacher who traveled to Trump's rally in uh, in Nashville from Lexington, Tennessee, with her daughter, her mother, her aunt and her cousin. The price change, of course, was actually thanks to a subsidy made possible by former President Barack Obama's Affordable Care Act, which is still in place, not by the tax credits proposed by Republicans as part of their uh, attempted health care bill to repeal and replace Obamacare. So it seems there are some voters, a lot of them still, who will, frankly, believe anything that Trump says. And I guess even stuff he didn't say because they just see him as, well, a blessing from God, facts and truth from those liars and fake news outlets. Be damned. Now, I would argue, as I did very loudly, as loudly as I could before the election, Uh, When virtually everyone else seemed to think that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag, that no matter uh, how encouraging indications may be in in the polls, as we're more than a year and a half, at least out from 2018, more than three and a half years uh, until 2020, presuming Donald Trump's even in office still at that point, the need to support and believe in the great con man in chief versus the lying fake news media. Uh, Remains strong among a huge swath of purposely, purposely brain-addled American voters. Someone who is quite familiar with that purposeful brain-addling of American voters is Frank Schaefer, if only because he was uh, he was once part of the political movement, uh, a political movement which purposely addles the brains of uh, of these sorts of Americans for largely political and or monetary gain. Frank's father, the late Francis Schaeffer, was a famous American evangelical pastor who, along with folks like Billy Graham and Oral Roberts and Jim Baker and Jerry Falwell and Dr. James Dobson, pretty much created the radical religious right anti-abortion political movement in this country that came into its own during during the Reagan era and has been holding outsized influence in American politics ever since. Frank uh, himself went into his father's uh, family business and spent the better part of the 70s and 80s preaching the same mantra to the same folks until seemingly coming to his senses at some point in more recent decades. And he has been an outspoken advocate and author ever since against the great religious right con that continues to help brain so many Americans and yes, Trump voters today. Uh, Writing uh, last week at his uh, Frank Schaefer blog, Frank argued there's only one way the Democratic Party can win back the White House and Congress, and that is to toss a lit match into the gas can of Trump voters' perpetual anger. Well, that sounds incendiary. Uh, Put it this way, his piece begins. How does one talk to someone mired in irrational beliefs into accepting fact-based reality? More to the point these days, how does one change a Trump voter's mind and get her or him to reject Trump's multiplying lies and and vote for a Democrat next time? My answer is you can't, writes Frank Schaefer, but you can pry enough Trump voters out of the Republican Party and incite them to vote, incite them to vote for Democrats and thereby put a Democrat in the White House and dominate both houses of Congress for years to come. Forget reason he writes, forget facts, forget rational argument, forget policy. Rather, think of distracting a greyhound chasing a rabbit. You won't talk him out of it. There's only one way. Distract the mindless creature with another rabbit. Okay, then. So what does that mean? Here to explain what that means is Frank Schaefer. He's a New York Times best-selling author, a speaker, a painter. His latest book is Why I Am an Atheist Who Believes in God. But of course, his proudest accomplishment is no doubt, having been a Brad blog guest blogger at various times over the years. But we haven't spoken uh, with him in a very long time, so I'm happy to have him back. Hey, Frank Schaefer, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. It is very
1: nice to talk with
0: you again. Great to have you. All right, Frank, uh, you argue in your piece this week that uh, the Trump voters cannot be reasoned with. Uh, Before you explain what that other rabbit is uh, that that you suggest they need to be distracted with, uh, why can't they be reasoned with? And what is it about your experience with those folks as an evangelical leader in the in the movement for so many years that that helps inform your thoughts here?
1: Well, let's just start with a basic fact, uh, and that is that 81% of white evangelical Americans voted for Trump. So you can look at the Russia connection, you can look at disgruntled steel workers or folks in coal country, but the overarching block of people without whom he could not have been elected are white evangelicals. And that's my stomping ground. That's where I come from. That's where I cut my teeth. You know, if you had been 35 years ago, I would have been on the road with Jerry Falwell and his borrowed jet. I would have been the keynote speaker at the Southern Baptist Convention. This is all before I left the evangelical world and changed sides, both, you might say, theologically and politically. But I know these guys, so I don't claim to know a lot about politics in general. I'm not an insider's insider in Washington. But when it comes to understanding the brain of the evangelical movement, I'm not speaking of individuals here, but a movement, I know what I'm talking about. And you have to see something very clearly here. From birth, people raised in the fundamentalist subculture are taught to mistrust, distrust, renounce the so-called world's facts. So when science says that evolution proves something, or that the Earth is very old, or that there was Noah's Ark, or that uh, there are no rib-women around uh, that were created for men, but people evolved from single-celled creatures You are taught from birth they are lying. We have our own facts. We have our own truth. That truth is in the Bible and our denominations' interpretation of it. Same with how do people become gay. They do not choose to become gay. They are born gay, just like I was born a heterosexual. But if you come up with a fact-based argument people's eyes in the evangelical world just glaze over, and instead of talking to you about the issue or the fact, all you get back is the stream of consciousness, which is really a form of kind of Pavlovian reaction and brainwashing. Bible verses, what their pastor said, they just know in their heart that this is true, they talked to Jesus this morning, and he answered them whatever. So when Trump comes along with a non-fact-based Mantra of just trust me, don't trust the media, don't trust the liberals, don't trust science on climate change, whatever it is. He's talking to people who are already on his side simply because he is in opposition to facts and reason as we understand it. So he had a built in audience that liked what he was saying just because he was giving the finger to the established order of science, university, teaching, learning, And all those other things that so-called secular people, or liberal Christians, or people in other faiths or no faith at all, live by. And that's the background. So when you look at this block of voters, what you have to see is that some of them back in the day voted for Barack Obama, some of them even twice. I say some, not many, but Mm -hmm. enough. And that group of people is going to be looking at what he's doing to them when they lose health care as that new 20 million to 24 million people lose health insurance if he has the ability with the, with the Republican majority to put through their repeal of Obamacare. They're going to be looking at the fact that in that new budget of his, Meals on Wheels doesn't show up for their grandma anymore on that farm in Omaha. They're going to see one tweet too many, obviously a distraction when coffins start coming home from some. War started by Bannon, who's got this ridiculous idea that we're in a global conflict against Islam. That drip, 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 drip of actual evidence in their own lives, not reason, not argument, but things going wrong because he is a fool. He is a charlatan. He is a faker. He is a fraud. In other words, when they wake up in the position that your average Trump University student woke up in, finding their degree was worthless, that their opportunity to learn from Donald was to stand next to a cardboard cutout, they are going to simply start losing faith in the same way that these same folks change churches all the time. When their pastor is having sex with his secretary, leaves his <laughs> third wife, marries again, denies everything he says he believes in, they quit. They up and leave. So you got a group of people in the white evangelicals that do two things regularly. Change denominations when they get really pissed off with the pastors and deny facts about everything to do with their religion as it as it is extrapolated into the larger world if you put those two things together when they get pissed off they'll just change churches if they stay home and don't vote democrats win if a few are peeled off and vote for the next democrat not just in the presidential level but state houses and all the rest because they're mightily pissed off with the shall we call it trumpian denomination they don't want to be part of that anymore They're going to do the equivalent of running off and starting their own independent home Bible study because they're just sick of the whole thing. That's what's going to happen. And I predict that, yes, late-night TV and people like you and people like me and Colbert and everybody out there, Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, whoever, gets it firmly into our heads. Don't try to just show polls and reason and facts, studies and science appeal to the emotion that they know best, which is anger and rejection, and simply get them to want to change churches and leave the Trump denomination, we will peel off people on every level of government, simply not because they are for anything, but they go into their maximum pissed-off mode, and this time they just simply redirect the anger. So our point that we have to keep making is showing that Trump, is not an evil liar and a fool and a con man and in bed with the Russians or that his, his statistics are wrong or that his tweets are simply not factual. What we've got to show is that he is betraying them, and that is what is going to do it. When they personally feel betrayed, when they personally feel threatened, when all of a sudden they wake up and say, holy crap, this is going to cost me, that's the point we have to make he how, has lied to you not to the American people how do you
0: border how do you how do you make that argument how do you make that distinction I mean because yes you're you're right uh, and you know on this show of course we cover a lot of news. We try to point out where, uh, uh, whether it's Trump or Republicans or Democrats, where they're not telling you the truth. Here are the actual facts. You're saying pointing out here are the actual facts to Trump voters does not make a difference. That, in fact, you have to... No. No.
1: It doesn't. It doesn't. But what we have to do is is when Saturday Night Live or, uh, uh, you know, a, a columnist or whoever wants to try to talk to the American public... and. You know, you have to understand, they have their own systems of communication. They're not reading the, the New York Times. They're not reading the Washington Post. Right. They're not reading anything that we would consider to be news. They're not watching Saturday Night Live. But once in a while, if a drumbeat is loud enough and everybody picks up the theme, whether it's Samantha B or you or whomever, and the theme is always, he has screwed you guys over. Forget us. Forget the liberals. Forget the facts. That thing he told you about taking care of Medicaid and Medicare, that thing he told you about Social Security, that he told you about you're going to be better off, that thing he told you about taking care of veterans, he lied to you. And if that becomes the drumbeat of comedy sketch and off-ed and radio commentary and all the rest of it, then pretty soon that scene starts bleeding through in the same way that, for instance, everybody across the planet talks about how stupid his tweets are That's beginning to bleed through. That's beginning to show up in polls because it gets said again and again and again. So the point isn't Trump is an idiot, Trump is a fraud, Trump is a liar. The point is Trump screwed you, the Trump supporter, over and he's going to do it again and again. Point that needs to be
0: made. But I'm just wondering. you write in your piece, Frank Schaefer, uh, we must take a page from the Trump-Bannon anger incitement playbook uh, that, uh, right. in, in other words, you write, overly nice and civilized Americans will have to become a bit more ruthless. Uh, but, but doesn't that all, well, two points here, uh, Frank, doesn't that all just deepen the divide, make all of this more entrenched, uh, more hardened on all sides, and furthermore, you know, as you were referring referring to, you know, people coming home in coffins and people beginning to see uh you know what what a con man he actually is or what a failed president he turns out to be. All of that was also true during the George W Bush years, but it didn't seem yeah, to yeah. push those folks away, push them to a... Yeah, it pushed them to an even worse charlatan uh, uh, Frank in, uh, in Donald right. Trump. Right.
1: W Bush whom I knew personally, by the way. I knew the family when I was in the religious right, and I have handwritten notes from Barbara Bush and other people. I I knew these guys. But let me tell you something. The difference was this. The worst that can be said of George W. Bush is that he was unintelligent and a fool, but he was not a dishonorable cad. He was not a fraudster. He actually believed the bull he was spouting, except maybe for the weapons of mass destruction, which at some point he lied about, the way politicians lie. But he himself was not just rotten as a human being to the core. If he was your neighbor, you wouldn't have to move. If Donald Trump was your neighbor, you'd have to lock your daughters and granddaughters in the attic or get out of town. (laughs) This guy's a skunk. I mean it's a, there's a difference between a scum and an idiot yeah but, they, but, they, but
0: but they but but Frank for Frank but that's kind of my point they went from uh, uh George Bush when they uh, eventually left him and they moved to a guy like Donald Trump a guy who was was even worse so if you're saying uh absolutely, you know the only thing absolutely. you can do is 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 get get them off the scent of uh, uh of Trump and you know show them another way I mean doesn't this just get worse don't don't they just find a, a the guy who's even worse than a Donald Trump in the future?
1: It may be, but I think there's another possibility, and I hope and pray, you know, the atheist part of me doesn't pray, you know, why part of me still believes in God is I have these forlorn, irrational hopes, okay? <laughs> okay. One of my forlorn, irrational hopes is that the Trump fiasco blows up so badly that it actually decimates the Republican Party for the next 50 to 100 years, in the same way that Germany took 50 years to rebuild any credibility after the Nazi era. And I'm not kidding about that. We're going to need a denazification program. Just look what's happened to America. You know, all of a sudden, neo-fascism and fascism itself and and Nazism and all these other things are back in the news, not as a fringe sidebar somewhere, but with defaced Jewish graves, with people who are calling calling Mm -hmm. things like a call for global war on Islam itself a rational choice for people who are denying global warming. We we are not in a period of time where we have an administration that has a few things wrong. We are in a period of time that is challenging the very fabric of what America is, so that when, when we look at Donald Trump, we have to see him as an opportunity to show exactly, actually, what you just said, and that is this business as usual of you win one, we win some, Is over. The Republican Party has shown itself to be a sycophant, lick little group of people who have gone along with someone who literally is the worst thing that's ever happened to American politics since maybe George Wallace or Joe McCarthy, or worse than that, perhaps. And so I don't see this as an opportunity to just win the next election. I see this as an opportunity to push people to the logical conclusion of Trump. His presupposition, if you like, being that fraud is okay, alt-facts are okay, the alt-right is okay, Nazism is okay, it's okay to be a, uh, uh, somebody that, that the Ku Klux Klan loves and that this can be respectable, roll back civil rights, take away women's rights, and we have to say, okay, let's play this game to the end, take his, quote, successes as people are stripped of their rights, and, and, and let them know they have been lied to and screwed to the point where enough people peel away so that as we look back 20 years from now, we realize at the beginning of the end of the Bush, Reagan, modern political party that used to be called the Republican Party and is now the Trump Party, this was the beginning of the end of it. And either they will reform or go the way of the dinosaur, but in either case, we have to take our gloves off now and fight these guys to the bitter end. That the model here, and I'm not being melodramatic because I really believe this country is in danger, is to have the attitude that Winston Churchill had about Hitler. And that is, he didn't say anything about, I'll win the next election. He said, I will track the dog to his lair. And that's where we have to be. We don't want to beat the Republican Party. Now, we need to destroy it. We wow. need to destroy it because they are literally the enemy of the United States now. We can't, you cannot love democracy and America and have these people who are still covering for a guy that is in bed with Vladimir Putin. So this is not a time, I don't think, for, for talking about methods of politics and winning elections. This is the time to say, okay, we need to get through here. We do not need anything else. We need to use the strength of this opponent against him. And his, his, his ability to lie their faith has to be turned against him with his own people, to pry enough away so that it all comes apart at the seams. And then the, demograph- the demographics of America, where we're, we have more brown people, more young people can begin to kick in, and we can start restoring what's being lost at 100 miles an hour here. So I just think the stakes are incredibly high, and I may be wrong in my own prescription for how to do this, but we all have to be fighting for a prescription that takes the Republican Party out of the american political scene period frank so if george w bush's two wars and 15 years of conflict in the middle east wasn't enough to convince you that these people shouldn't be anywhere near governance if trump doesn't convince the american people that what will
0: frank let me let me i've got just a a few minutes here uh very quickly so let, let me ask you frank um how is it that you know evangelicals who who you know for so many years were were proclaiming they were for they were voting for religious values how is it that so many of those voters were so easily moved that, uh, then to vote for someone like Trump in the first place, you know, with three wives, a guy who said on tape that he was a, a, a well, a, a crotch grabber, uh, you know, and, and, and never really, you know, tried to roll that back? How is it that you say you argued that there was 81 percent of evangelicals voted for this guy? Uh, how can that be? And doesn't it suggest that all of those values that they pretend to have, that they don't really have those values at all? It suggests that
1: and it also confirms it. I mean, look, these are folks who have, you know, learned to live with leaders who have become billionaires like like the televangelists such as Pat Robertson did, mm-hmm. on the backs of people giving $25 a month to help bring Jesus to the world. And so they have accepted the con model, if you like, of Christian leadership. It was an easy jump for them to a con man in the political arena, and I just have to say it proves one thing, and that is that in their paranoid delusion of being victims of liberal or science-based America, these folks have literally lost the ability to be consistent to what they say are their are their most treasured beliefs in following Jesus and trying to be honorable, faithful, decent people. What we're looking at is a movement who has been hoisted on its own petard of unreason to the point where the only thing they have left of them is a reaction against the culture around them and hatred of it. But we're not dealing with rational creatures here. We are dealing with people who have talked themselves into thinking that they are a white, persecuted minority that has to use every means to fight back, and if this bully, this liar, this slanderer, this molester of women comes along and says he'll get into the ring and punch out the people they hate, they will hold his coat while he does it, until, of course, he betrays them, and then they will lash out and turn on him, and that's what we have to start encouraging. But I just have to say, as a former evangelical whose father, Francis Schaefer was a leader in this movement, you know, if my father, who died in 84, came back and saw this now, he would be heartbroken. And so would a whole generation of evangelicals who believed they were really on some sort of mission from God to save humanity and bring them all into the, the Church and so on. To, to see it spin down to this level where a Donald Trump could become the leader, the de facto leader of an evangelical movement, go to the National Prayer Breakfast, stand up and brag about the fact that his, his ratings... On the apprentice, were higher than anything Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to get. You know, this idiot, to think that, you know, he's in the National Prayer Breakfast, supposedly leading a spiritual meeting of folks like this, and that they don't just stand up in a body, turn their back on this fool, and walk out, is really the bottom of the barrel. So, on a, on a more serious note, they are where the church was in Germany in 1938, where a few people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up and eventually paid with his life for opposing Hitler. And the rest of the Church went along for the same reasons. They didn't like Jews, they didn't like the left, they didn't like science, and they didn't like disorder, and they thought, this guy will bring order and put us in charge. And, of course, they were right, he did. He was good to the Lutheran Church, he was good to the Roman Catholic Church. The only thing is, he was a, he was a demon, and they traded their souls for it. And the American evangelicals have traded the soul of their movement for this little tiny moment in the sun that's going to be snatched away from them as he crashes and burns.
0: Frank Schaefer, uh, New York Times bestselling author, his latest book is Why I Am an Atheist Who Believes in God. Uh, you can find his article uh, that we've been uh, chatting about here at frankschaeferblog.com. Headline, there's only one way the Democratic Party can win back the White House and Congress. Toss a lit match into the gas can of Trump voters' perpetual anger. You can also uh, find and follow Frank on the Twitters at Frank underscore Schaefer. Uh, Frank, great talking with you. If you ever ever come up with a strong opinion about anything, I hope you'll let us know. We'd we'd love to have you on the air to talk about it in the future.
1: Hey, you know me. I'm just a mild kind of guy. You can count on me for the middle of the road.
0: Yes, you you need no lit match nor gas can, it sounds like, my friend. Thank you. Really appreciate you joining us today to talk about all of this. I, I look forward to doing it again in the future.
1: Anytime. Thanks, Fred.
0: Thank you, Frank. All right, a few uh, lit matches here after a quick break, and uh, yeah, some some gas cans. Well, uh, hundreds of thousands of gallons of oil in any event. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Don't go away. <laughs>
2: He? Yeah, he was on he was fire.
0: Mad. He was. He was on fire. Welcome back to the broadcast. My thanks again to. Frank Schaefer. uh, Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Speaking of uh, Trump supporters, this caught my eye Uh, if only for the headline in Washington Post. A pro-Trump rally ended up with a man getting beaten with a Make America Great Again sign.
2: Wow, if that's not a metaphor, I don't know what is.
0: Tell me about it, right? If you wanted to make a movie or something and you wrote that (laughs) into the script, you would say, well, that's ridiculous. No, It's absurd. That's over the top uh, but apparently that happened uh, there was a demonstration that was largely peaceful over the weekend with uh, supporters of uh, President Trump walking and chanting along Bolsa Chica State Beach out here in California and then they caught sign of counter protesters and and the melee that followed on Saturday was captured in a profanity-filled video that we can't play here, but uh, it uh, it went viral uh, quickly. The video detailed the violence. One man was held down to the ground, punched and hit in the face with pepper spray. Later, another man was hit over the head again and again with a Make America Great Again sign. Wow. Wow. Uh, The guy who did it, Travis uh, Gunther, said, I hit him five times with the flag over his head. Uh, uh, He called it retaliation because the man allegedly had used pepper spray on Gunther's wife. He could be seen yelling at the man while being detained by law enforcement officials. Uh, It's hard to see in the video exactly what sparked individual violent incidents. But at one point, two men began punching each other. A woman was hit in the face in the scuffle, further angering people as that was going on. Someone released a mist of pepper spray and and people in the dense crowd started coughing, rubbing their eyes. Someone spied a counter protester and yelled, get him. Two men tackled him to the ground, throwing fists, another one spraying mace. Uh, As the counter protesters backed cautiously away from the crowd, a man taunts them. You can't run. You can't hide. According to the L.A. Times, the counter-demonstrators were overwhelmed by hundreds of Trump supporters. They told a Times reporter that they used pepper spray only after they were shoved and punched by members of the rival group. And yet, here's the happy ending, uh, sort of. Despite all the violence, there were also scenes of unity. According to news reports, some protesters and Trump supporters were seen having civil discussions after the arrest and even hugging. See? Wow. So it's maybe not all bad. All right, what do we have time for the? Yeah, I do. You know, when this happened in December. Des, I remember saying to you, you were breaking this uh, story about this oil uh, pipeline spill up in North Dakota. Ah yes, that's the one that
2: was on the eastern side of North Dakota, about 150 miles from the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. And at the time, you
0: you had given the number and I remember warning people. I think the number at the (laughs) time was 176,000 gallons of oil. And I remember saying, you know what? They always lowball these things. They they always do. The companies always come out. They give some number. say so it's contained, it's, you know, X number of uh, gallons or barrels. And no then damage we learn to the out, water right, supply. Right, exactly. And then we find out later what really happened. Well, now we apparently have found out what really happened. The amount of crude oil that spilled near Belfield, North Dakota, from the ruptured Belforsh pipeline in December was vastly underestimated.
2: What?
0: The original estimate was around 176,000 gallons of oil, but after further review, the pipeline operator True Companies now reports about 529,830 gallons. That's about 12,500 barrels, according to their uh, uh, according to their spokeswoman. That's three times larger. Then first estimated and uh, amongst the biggest oil spills in state history, according to uh, a state environmental expert. The cause of the leak, still not determined, by the way, the spill uh, contaminated a hillside and the Ash Coulee Creek, which empties into the Little Missouri River, which is a tributary of the Missouri River. Which is the river that the uh, Native Americans up there in South Dakota have been uh, fighting to protect during this uh, Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, uh, protests. The, oh,
2: and you know, by yeah. the way, that water that is in the Missouri River feeds the water supply of major cities all the way down to St. Louis, for example.
0: Oh, fantastic! So you know,
2: yeah, this is uh, this is serious stuff. You know, my they,
0: hometown, St. Louis, Missouri. Just to be clear, yeah, since sorry. we have listeners up in Minnesota. Okay, oh, that's go ahead. true. That's yes, right, yes. Louis, um,
2: but you know, the, the, the they talk about the cleanup being oh, it's it's progressing along nicely, and it could take up to oh maybe a year to get it all done. But what they don't say is that the soil is permanently contained you cannot fix what has died in the soil. You cannot fix the the biome that is within that fertile soil that used to be fertile soil next to that creek that used to not have oil in it.
0: The uh, site of the spill is uh, about, as you said, Desi, 100, 150 miles from Cannonball, where the protesters Uh, with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe had been camped out in opposition to the Dakota Access Pipeline. So you got one pipeline spill on this side of the state and they're protesting a new pipeline on the other side of the state. Uh, Those camps have since been cleared since uh, Donald Trump approved the uh, that disputed project, which is almost done uh, with oil almost flowing, if not already flowing here by airtime. Uh, Trump, of course, cited against those activists who, spe- who fear a spill yeah. would contaminate the lake that provides the uh, sole drinking water supply for the Native Americans uh, that and, and water that they hold sacred, by the way. The pipeline back in December had been leaking apparently since December 1 following routine maintenance Um But uh, a landowner landowner discovered the spill not until December 5, so it had been leaking there for five days. And the oil apparently is still seeping out of the hillside, uh, but supposedly it's being contained. As you note, uh, Desi, uh, Echo Watch uh, says, uh, well, soil remediation work could take a year or more. Right. Uh, but it
2: will never be the same. It will never be fertile ground that you can grow crops in anymore.
0: On Friday, this just this past Friday, as luck would have it, uh, just before the uh, new North Dakota numbers for this uh, pipeline spill had been released, Donald Trump approved the uh, Keystone XL pipeline yep. as well from Trans Canada. So we have that to look forward to. But this turns out to be North Dakota's... The uh, second largest spill, it's its largest ever into a waterway, but its largest spill apparently happened in uh, September 2013 when a Tesoro Corporation pipeline leak uh, spilled 840,000 gallons of fracked oil into a wheat field, causing uh, one of the biggest onshore oil, spores, uh, oil spills in recent U.S. history. That spill has still not been cleaned up more than three years later, says Echo Watch. The revised estimate on this Belfort pipeline uh, spill um, makes it, uh, it, it it was actually the largest pipeline leak in all of 2016. Second place now goes to uh, Sunoco Logistics, which is a Dakota access pipeline operator which spilled 8600 ba- barrels of oil barrels of oil from its Permian Express 2 pipeline near Sweetwater, Texas, back in September.
2: Looks like they keep these pipeline companies keep fighting to have the biggest pipeline spill in America. Yes. They keep working for it. We're number one.
0: Despite repeated safety assurances from the industry, uh, these uh, these spills, these breaks do happen. Well, sure. Echo all, Watch
2: all pipelines spill. They always have. They always will.
0: That's right. And the state of the art leak detectors the pipeline companies always tout don't work, according to Dallas Goldtooth, because yep. these are these are new pipelines. Now we're talking about. That spill, and yet it goes five days uh, with a spill in the middle of nowhere that nobody notices. Uh, So far, by the way, um, Echo Watch reported in October of last year that 220 significant pipeline incidents occurred in 2016 alone, and more than 3,000 since the year 2006. Other than that, everything's fine. Don't worry. Nothing to worry about on the Dakota Access. Nothing to worry about on the Keystone XL, if that one ever gets built. Everything is fine. Facts, science, statistics be damned. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Frank Schaefer of FrankSchaefer.com, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. You can also drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, and I'm on the Facebooks and the Twitters. At the Brad blog. We'll see you there until we otherwise see you again. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.